when new a new paradigm of medicine comes in, it's often not greeted with accolades and pats on the backs and celebration because when you're forcing people to rethink what they've been taught and what they've done for the majority of their life, they often choose to reject it. And what your grandfather did is he was rejected, yet he pursued through that the answer, and that then led us to your father. Right. So from your grandfather, you then transitioned, that he transitioned his knowledge to your dad. Right. That's right. I mean, so basically his pioneer work, and he really did some hard work, because, I mean, he was, he was breaking down some barriers. And when you break down barriers in medicine and in science, you're often breaking down barriers that are, are very wealthy. And there's a lot of challenges to that. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Dr. Goodyear here. Super excited about this episode. Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast, of course. One of the things that we want to do is really present the history, the science of integrative medicine. And of course, as a medical director in an integrative cancer clinic, what I tell all of our patients and even doctors is that we don't have to run from the science. We don't have to run from history. Because if you look at history, integrative medicine is there. The pillars, the cornerstones, they're there. They have laid the bricks, the groundwork that's brought us to today. Now, what, what has happened today is a lot of people that don't understand that history and don't understand integrative medicine is they disconnect history from reality and they try to rewrite history through words. And so what we want to do is lead with the evidence, lead with the history of integrative medicine as it pertains to wellness, healing, chronic disease of aging. For me, obviously, my heart is in cancer because, again, you've heard me talk about the prospective urban and rural epidemiology study. Cancer is the number one cause of mortality in adults today. So what I want to do is get ahead of where we're going in medicine and history in the world and do that by tying into those that have really set the stage. They've written history in real time. And so today, we actually have an opportunity to bring somebody on our show that does just that. But before we jump into our guest, I want to help you recognize what we're trying to do here. You know, Steve Jobs had a quote where he said, you can't connect dots by looking forward. You can only connect them by looking backwards. Again, history. We need to recognize where we've come from, and that lets us know who we are and where we're going. Second, there's a great quote from Seth Godlin that says, students today are educated in collecting dots, just information. But almost none of education today is spent in connecting those dots. So if we collect information and we don't connect them to history, and we don't connect them together in modern times, we can't connect them to the future. And so looking at the collection of these dots and the connection of these dots that's how we're going to pave the pathway forward into the future. And insulin potentiated therapy, IPT, and Dr. Donato Perez Garcia 
is, and if I if I said that wrong, he's going to correct me in just a moment. I promise you that. But um, it's going to be able to help us to connect that dot, and it's going to empower you. So when you go out there and talk to your doctor about IPT, you're going to you're going to be able to be empowered as you talk into that. So the pioneer, the word pioneer, you know me, I like words. Pioneer is a word, it comes from a French word that actually means foot soldier. And it's really interesting. One of the earliest documents of this is actually from Scotland. (laughs) It's an article, not an article, but a writing called The Accounts of the Lord High Treasurer of Scotland. And what this really, this word really means is, is that it's a foot, these were foot soldiers that marched ahead of the regiment, of the other army of the soldiers in that army, they dug trenches, they cleared roads and trains. It wasn't a glorious thing they did. It was very hard work that they did. They used picks, they used shovels, they cleared ground, they cleared way, they laid road. A pioneer is not easy. A pioneer is hard work. And sometimes a pioneer is not one person. And I think that's what's important about today's guest, as we will record in future, is that our pioneer today is actually a pioneer of pioneers, a family, a legacy, a grandfather, a father, and himself that really took on a mission, because that's what the word legacy means, a mission, a commission. And what they've done and what his grandfather started was lay a generational impact that is impacting me and my generation in medical practice, and it's going to impact generations to come. So I want to introduce our guest to you today, and I hope I didn't butcher your name, Dr. Donato Perez Garcia. No, está bien. Sí, soy Donato Perez Garcia, tercera generación de médicos. And this started with my grandfather. Yes. My grandfather was born in the late 1800s, in a family that lived uh, in Mexico City. And because of his um, uh, economic uh, situation, uh, he grew, but he grew with some gastrointestinal disorder. Oh, I'm sorry. I just uh, jumped into the history. No, that's great. I let you without uh, words to ask me for the history. (laughs) But anyway, I will continue. So he started to grow in the family. He was the third in line two brothers, then him, and then uh, one more uh, brother and a sister. But he grew, and he grew with some uh, limitations, and he developed a gastrointestinal disorder. Out of the five uh, uh, children, he was the only one suffering from this gastrointestinal disorder. He was taken to see uh, doctors in the... uh, early 1900s, and they were giving the medications that were available in that time, not as the ones that we know that comes in vials and label. They were mostly medications mixed at the doctor's office out of essential oils, some powders, some roots. That was medicine in that uh, time. And he was uh, treated. His uh, parents definitely tried to get him feel good. But he was not uh, improving, but he survived. Then uh, his two older brothers told him uh, he should join the army, the Mexican army with the government, because it would improve his uh, way of life, will give access to education. Uh, 
and that he did that. He followed the instructions of his two brothers. He joined the army and at a very young age, he started to participate in the wars of the Mexican Revolution. He had a tendency to be in the front where there were wounded soldiers and wounds were produced by uh, lead uh, bullets. Uh, that was uh, the source of uh, all the weapons that were used at that time. But at his age, 17 or 18 years old, he had no fear of uh, providing help to wounded uh, soldiers having blood uh, that were uh, lose a, a limb or that were wounded. So he started to show his interest in helping uh, people during the war. During the war, he must have had help one of the uh, officers that had a, a good rank within the army. And he later was told to go to the medical school because he had that he ha having no fear and being in the middle of a war, helping uh, carry uh, soldiers uh, with uh, that type of wounds in a 16 or 17 or 18 years old, is quite an extraordinary Brave. action, hard uh, decision to, to help others. So that was his start. But his uh, disease continued. Uh, he he had these gastrointestinal issues. Um, then he entered into medical school. At that time, it was the uh, Universidad Nacional Autónoma de México, where he started his um, studies in medicine. He graduated, but he was part of the of the Mexican uh, military uh, force, and he continued with his uh, rank in the uh, army. He did good friends because of uh, this attitude towards uh, ill people. And then one day, in sometime in 1923, 1924, uh, he received the first uh, indications of the recently discovered uh, hormone insulin. Right. And at that time, uh, repeating the words that he left uh, written in uh, one of his books, he said, I read that insulin was good to cure diabetes, and that also was uh, good to improve uh, nutrition, malnourishment. So he immediately felt, oh, this is the, mm, the medication that I would need because I have a malnourished state. So he decided to try insulin in himself. He definitely was no diabetic. He was tall, slim. Uh, but this uh, condition of uh, his digestion made him try that. And he started to try insulin in himself. And he started with a, a schedule uh, that he administered a few units in the morning. When uh, he developed the hypoglycemia, he went and had a breakfast. Then he included a lunch and then he included the dinner. So... He had uh, the, uh, an administration of a few units of insulin uh, three times a day. He so started, just a couple units? Yes. He reported 10 units. Oh, wow. In uh, total in a day? Uh, no, with each uh, oh, administration. With each oh, wow. 
And he started to feel good and improve. He gained weight. He started to look uh, much uh, better, healthier. And he noticed that insulin did in himself something. Then he was invited to uh, be the director of the um, clinic at the national... Uh, it was a factory in Mexico back in the 1920s, early 1920s, that uh, they were producing some type of guns and ammunition. And he was designed as the direct, director of the clinic. And there he started to see the soldiers for the diseases that uh, soldiers had, viral, bacterial, and acute uh, diseases. Right. Uh, he thought one day or during several days, something that I don't know and we will never know, but he got the idea. Well, in myself, I use insulin. Insulin, there were no articles. There were no signs except for the few um, things that the Canadian doctors, Banting, MacLeo, right. Colip, uh, describe about uh, the insulin. Uh, so the signs when he received that was very limited. Yeah. But he decided and thought, okay, if this helped me to absorb and get better from just uh, eating food, maybe this could work if I gave the patient insulin and then a medication. So he was, because <clears throat> today, in, in today's modern time, what happens is everybody looks at insulin, mm -hmm. and this is really interesting in social media, when we talk about insulin, everybody thinks, but, but I don't have diabetes. Right. We think of everything in a disease mindset. So it, actually, I think a lot of what science and modern medicine has brought us today is the inability to critically think. But what you're describing is your grandfather, really with very limited information, it was was very much in the critical thinking world. And he was putting dots together to say, this helped me, this science helped me, and now this science I can help others with. Right, because he was thinking, I was not feeling good. I started to use insulin in my person, and I started to gain weight. Uh, the episodes of a gastrointestinal uh, discomfort started to vanish until a point that he felt completely recovered. And being in the clinic at uh, the factory, he had uh, soldiers from different diseases. So at that time, it was not named insulin potentiation therapy. It oh. was a name subject to description in another chapter. Why would they change the name? But he started to use insulin in viral uh, and bacterial diseases with the soldiers. His first uh, case was uh, one uh, soldier. His name uh, was Carlos Sosa, because there is a news uh, clip that I uh, have in uh, my archives. And this uh, uh, soldier he had uh, problems uh, with tertiary syphilis. Oh, yeah. And uh, the family were seeing the doctors at that time, and uh, the doctor recommended to put him into a ward because there was nothing else to offer to 
this patient. And tertiary syphilis for our, our listeners is neurosyphilis. Yes, that's caused by a bacteria. Yeah, caused by bacteria that we don't see a lot today, but back in your grandfather's time was a was a big medical issue. Yes. Yeah. It was a serious problem with the population. Yeah. And especially in population like uh, in the army that they had uh, limited uh, mobility. But anyway, so he started to treat, uh, he explained the idea of what he was going to do. And the family agreed. The option was putting him into the ward and seeing uh, him deteriorate because there was little to offer to the patient with the tertiary syphilis or try the experiment of uh, Dr. Donato Perez Garcia. So they decided and took him to the office. Uh, uh, My grandfather started in Mexico City where he had a two-story building and they took the the patient. And he started to administer uh, insulin followed by the medications of that time. Uh, The brand name was Neosalvarsan, which consisted of arsenic yeah. and mercury. Okay, <laughs> yeah. those were mad as a hatter. Yes. Mercury. <laughs> okay, but those were the medications that were used right. to treat because there were no uh, the availability of uh, an antibiotic was not. Uh, although it was discovered in 1924, the penicillin, but it was not widely available, and the medication recommended was neosalvarsan. So he did. 10 treatments with the neosalvarsan and the tests that were done in that time uh, were um, tests that uh, he did it on uh, blood uh, serum and uh, with each week he started to notice that the reactions started to be low. He started to have an improvement. After 10 uh, treatments with uh, using insulin, inducing a controlled state of hypoglycemia and administer half of the dose of uh, neosalvarsan, the patient recovered. He even recovered his uh, mind and he started to remember what were his uh, suicidal thoughts, all his paranoia that he developed, and he remembered everything and he told the story. And he got uh, well. That was 1930. So that was the first patient that was formally treated uh, with insulin potentiation therapy. Wow. So he was using low-dose insulin and then he, or insulin, and he was able to lower the dose of the drug at that time, which was really arsenic and mercury. Mm-hmm. So he was able to lower the dose of those toxins that was then in killing that infectious disease. It was causing the tertiary syphilis. And he was doing that through the delivery with insulin. Right. At that time, the dose of insulin, insulin was made out of uh, the pancreas of uh, the pig or from cows, depending, I think, mostly on availability. And it was made by a very... Uh, famous uh, company uh, that they were manufacturing. But at that time, uh, it, the dose uh, used was one unit of insulin per kilogram of uh, body weight. So <laughs> patients were receiving 
quite a high dose <laughs> of uh, insulin, and the patients had a, a, a very deep hypoglycemia. But so. the patients never uh, fainted or had any problems. They were uh, treated correctly. The if you have done uh, administer insulin, you notice that our patients undergoing that process, they don't have any side effects. They don't right. develop coma. They, they don't die. Okay. And, you know, that's that's one of the counters to IPT right. is that we're going to put people in a coma. Yes. Many, uh, many people who doesn't know what it does, they use some of the side effects that uh, will happen if I go on a trip to the moon and be back in three months and left the patient there. But no, when doing properly, no. But he was doing that with uh, this patient, wow. giving one unit of insulin and then giving the neosalvars. And the patient recovered and uh, he uh, invited uh, some friends and he had that, an idea of saying, I'm going, he was young uh, when he did that in 1930. Uh, he was uh, 42, 43 years old. Yeah. And he got the idea of saying, I'm going to write a report and I'm going to present my findings, just one patient. Right. 1930. No articles about no the non-diabetic uses of insulin. It was just an idea that this uh, doctor had and he, but anyway, he wrote his report, went to the medical school, spoke with the dean of the medical school, and he said, you know, I could have done something uh, that affects the uh, cell from the brain, and uh, it's, it can be recovered. So the doctor in 1930 uh, most likely uh, responded. Oh, doctor, you are a very young, enthusiastic uh, doctor. Thank you for your interest. But do you know that uh, uh, neuronas do not recover? Once they are dead, they disappear. So at that time, he the doors were closed. His finding, his uh, anecdotal case was uh, dismissed by the School of Medicine in the Terrace. And, but he decided, well, I'm going to write and share this with uh, other doctors. And the same thing happened. Uh, neural cells cannot be uh, recovered. Once they die, they die forever. There is no regeneration. But he decided, well, this is what I saw. He was stubborn this, too then. He was stubborn too. <laughs> yes. This is what I saw. The patient was not mine. It was brought with a serious problem with a diagnosis by one or two of the leading doctors in that time. And it was a bacterial infection. So at that time, it was the birth of this medical procedure. And it started to address first bacterial infections using insulin and then the an, an antibiotic. He continued his work with uh, insulin in the field of uh, parasites. And parasites were, at that time, bacteria and viruses. Working with the, the soldiers in the army, then uh, soldiers uh, started to see that this doctor was treating uh, patients, and patients were 
really recovering uh, in a couple of weeks. So some of uh, the next uh, case that he was uh, he treated was uh, the son of uh, one of the soldiers that had uh, chicken pox. Hmm. And although at that time there were very limited uh, medications, they were mostly chemicals in raw form, like methylene blue and other substances. What he did is that it, he did with that was to treat the boy. And instead of being 14 days with uh, the outbreak and uh, all the symptoms, the boy recovered in five or six days. So that was when you do that, and I just uh, go back in time to 1930, when you go and see a doctor and you don't see all the things that we have now, yes, that was kind of a miracle yeah. for the people. So they started to create um, like uh, a name of what the, the, the director of the clinic in the factory was doing to the patients. So it continued to do that because his decision was to get the science because at that time doctors and the leaders asked, there is no article. So what is supporting your theory? Well, I'm doing my theory and I'm proving I am the leader on this uh, subject, but he didn't have the power, the money, uh, many things needed, and he was criticized for not having uh, the science. Right. It's impossible to have science when something is discovered. But he decided to do that. He got friends with uh, the dean of the faculty of uh, chemistry in the National University in Mexico, and the dean decided to do an experiment using lots of uh, dogs uh, I know that today is something that is no longer acceptable. But in 1936, it was the way yes. of uh, doing some research. And the object was to produce evidence of what happened. So in one group of dogs, they gave uh, arsenic and mercury. And then they did the test to measure the presence of uh, mercury mercury and arsenic in the blood and in the cerebrospinal fluid. Yeah. The, and the other group, they uh, had first insulin and then the same dose of uh, mercury and arsenic. The dogs with no insulin, they didn't have uh, mercury and arsenic in their brains, in the cerebrospinal fluid, but they have in the serum. But the lot of dogs that uh, were injected first with insulin, they had a higher concentration of mercury and arsenic in the serum and then had a concentration in the cerebrospinal fluid. So, so he's proving his theory. Yes, he started to do that in 1937. He published that uh, result because it was backed by the University of Mexico in, um, in the Revista Militar, which was the, among the first uh, scientific magazines published by the uh, hospital from the army in Mexico. And he concluded that insulin, this is 1937, 
he concluded insulin breaches the blood-brain barrier just because of that experiment. But he continued to do that, and with that only one experiment, that was not enough. They probably were requesting like at least 120 articles to prove his theory. But he decided to continue. And then he started to treat other diseases. Among the diseases that he started to treat was gastric and duodenal ulcers. In that time, in the 40s, the main treatment for gastric or duodenal ulcers was surgery. Hmm. Okay? There, there were no... Um, Rush to the knife. Yes. The f- okay. famous famous um, original uh, physician in the U.S., he had a saying when um, President Adams' daughter had breast cancer, he, he had a saying that said, rush to the knife, first rush to the knife. And so it kind of fits in with that philosophy. You have a ulcer, cut it out. Right. Versus what your grandfather was really doing was saying, hey, sometimes the knife can be helpful, but we want to leave that as a last resort. Right. And that's what your grandfather was really looking for, was actually a healing solution. And that's what he started to do. He started to treat uh, patients with gastro gastric ulcers or duodenal ulcers using a combination of uh, bismuth, methylene yeah. blue, and sulfur. Methylene oh. blue. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is an antiseptic. Yep. Yep. And he started to do that. At that time, the tests were... were a uh, very simple test that were given to the patients, a drink of a uh, dye. They swallowed the, the drink and then the images were taken. And then they demonstrated the uh, uh, cavity, whether it was in the stomach or in the duodenum. So that was the way the diagnosis of a gastric ulcer was done when it was not severe or bleeding or... Uh, uh, creating a serious uh, uh, life-threatening uh, problem. So he started to do that. He decided, okay, I'm going to do all this uh, varium uh, uh, swallow to demonstrate how my patient gets here with the uh, gastric ulcer. Then I will do my treatment, and then I will do an after. Right. And he collected all the x-rays. He registered for uh, the conference on medicine, an international conference, and he presented uh, his findings with all the surgeons and doctors who were uh, presenting best ways to do uh, surgical treatment of uh, gastric ulcers. And there there was a doctor saying, no, I can use this. Certainly there are indications Mm -hmm. for doing that that he was treating and presenting the evidence. The uh, chairperson on the room that he was presenting his findings, he says, uh, doctor, what you are saying is fake. You are a charlatan. You are just presenting false evidence. You altered the x-rays. When was that? That was 1948. Okay. Okay. So they, they were calling him a charlatan there. Today, modern times, they would call him quacks. Well, but the, in Spanish, the word was charlatan. Okay. Um, because he f- make 
I don't know how can in that time make a Photoshop of X-rays. <laughs> he was ahead of his time, apparently. So, at that time, he was treating the cause of uh, gastric ulcers with a combination of a mucus protector and one antibiotic and one antiseptic. He didn't know the cause that was going to be discovered in the late 80s was H. pylori. He was doing, it was a bacteria. Yeah. So he was just doing the treatment and saying, here I have the ex, the patient with all these symptoms, the evidence to demonstrate that he had uh, an ulcer, and then the evidence that the patient was uh, healed. Okay. Yeah, so, see, that's, that is a true pioneer because what he was doing is he didn't know, it was not known at all. It's not that it was not common knowledge. He didn't know that there was an infectious agent right. that was causing a condition in which the standard of care was to cut it out and then it would recur. He was actually providing a healing targeted precision-based approach and he was bringing insulin to help guide it. Right. So, but there was no backing evidence for the use of insulin to address these uh, bacterial diseases. Certainly the doctors in 1940s didn't know that, that there was a bacterial origin of that disease, but he definitely, he was ahead of his time oh, because yeah. he had a vision, because he had the guts and the deci decision to continue. Why? Because he was seeing people healing, not people getting ill or people doesn't, um, feeling good after seeing a physician. You know, Dr. Donato, what I tell so many people that I talk to, I tell them, we as physicians, the word physician in Hebrew can actually be translated to mean healer. Mm -hmm. And your grandfather was embodying that word and that meaning, healer. But then what he was doing even more was the word doctor, dossier in Latin means teacher. He was carrying that drive to be a healer, help patients. But then he was actually, as they challenged him, saying there's no evidence for this, he was then embodying that, promoting science to actually teach more right. people to do it. Even with all the adversities by his colleagues, what uh, the energy that drove him to continue was the results, mm. the evidence seen in patients. He was not making the diagnosis. He was receiving patients who were diagnosed by other doctors. So the evidence was there. The patient had this problem, but it didn't respond to the, the symptomatic medicine. And he was going to see this doctor and get healed because of his uh, procedure. Certainly, it was an intuition on his side and an intuition supported by the results. His evidence was the results. His evidence was the patient. You know, that's really interesting because we forget, everybody talks about science and medicine as a double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. Right. And I always say, well, where's the double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled trial that shows that that's the best study that a double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled trial is? But at its foundation, science is merely just the observation. And, and, and that's really what your grandfather was doing. And, you know, today, one of the biggest crazes in medicine is peptide therapy. And insulin is a peptide. Right. 
And you're, so your grandfather, more than just being a pioneer as a healer, a pioneer as a teacher, as a researcher, and an, an observer, he was actually one of the first users of peptides. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. another interesting connection. He, my grandfather, did not discover insulin, did not invent insulin. His important fact or his important uh, point was that he understood what insulin was doing. Yeah, he applied it. And by administering that, he understood what insulin is doing is very simple. It's promoting uh, the cell permeability so that allows the entrance of the substances where the disease is. Yeah, I, you know, we met in February. I'd, I've known of you and about you for a long time, but it wasn't until last month in Bayou de Bravo, see our executive producer back there, I pronounced that right? Okay, good. So um, Bayou de Bravo. <clears throat> and um, so that's when I actually got to meet you and actually hear you lecture, and you defined what IPT was. And you said it was this, a biogenerational medicinal procedure which uses a dose of rapid-acting rapid insulin as a biological response modifier to induce cell permeability in a controlled manner and facilitate the exchange between extracellular and intracellular fluids. That's right. Because well, after a few years, my grandfather gave to his procedure a name. And the name he gave to his procedure was cellular therapy. Mm. Then uh, a long uh, uh, name through the biophysicochemical changes of the blood. The knowledge in the 40s and 50s about the, the cell were limited. Yeah. They are still so limited as of uh, today, which is uh, March 24 of 2023, right. we don't have a real picture of a complete human cell. We have diagrams. Many researchers have found a lot of uh, components, organs inside of the cell, and they, are con they continue to build the puzzle of what is inside of the cell. But the a uh, very big understanding of my grandfather was to understand that the disease happens in the cell and it happens because there is poor nutrition among, uh, um, or maybe one of the most important things, if there is poor nutrition, what gets into the cell is not the quality that is needed to keep the cell healthy and the genetic code, which we'll discuss in chapter three. Uh, but he understood that. He understood that insulin, first, it was natural. It is using our body's own way of healing, living, surviving, creating uh, repairs. Our pancreas so, produces the insulin. Yeah. yeah. And so he understood that. And that is why it, now that I, uh, I'm rewriting uh, the history, which is going to be soon, this is like a commercial, a book on the history, uh, I understood his uh, 
why did he gave that to his work? Because we are only chemists. Everything in our body is chemicals. And those chemicals can only move if there is a physical activity. That is, that is why we have some minerals with a positive charge or a negative charge. What they do is help to move all the chemicals that are produced. So that's where disease happens. Yeah. But his um, understanding of the actions of, of insulin in the cell membrane, that is why he said, okay, I'm giving insulin, then the medication, it goes inside of the cell, the cell repairs. And what does the cell repairs? The cell can repair many things that were damaged. And those uh, damages are the production of chemical substances that are releasing to the bloodstream and they go to another tissue where it has another properties. So that is why he always says, my therapy addresses the disease at the level of the cell. He was promoting, because you know the, the word disease, disease, it literally, it can be translated to mean the lack of wellness. And what your grandfather was doing is he was really focusing on improving the cell function, the recovery of the cell. And we, we've not even touched on cancer, where most people look at IPT and they connect that to cancer. You've talked about your grandfather's work with neurosyphilis, H. pylori, and other infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. So we've not even gotten into the arena of cancer, but there... He's healing cells, and that healing of a cell then translates to the healing of another cell, which collectively together, that's tissue, and that's where he was seeing this recovery. And what I love with your grandfather, it's like Galileo, you know, uh, you know, talking about the rotation of, of, you know, planets and stuff, is that when new, a new paradigm of medicine comes in, it's often not greeted with accolades and pats on the backs and celebration because when you're forcing people to rethink what they've been taught and what they've done for the majority of their life, they often choose to reject it. And what your grandfather did is he was rejected, yet he pursued through that the answer, and that then led us to your father. Right. So from your grandfather you then transitioned, that he transitioned his knowledge to your dad. Right. That's right. I mean, so basically his pioneer work, and he really did some hard work because, I mean, he was, he was breaking down some barriers. And when you break down barriers in medicine and in science, you're often breaking down barriers that are, are very wealthy. And there's a lot of challenges to that. And so he was really doing some hard, laborious work. And um, I can only imagine how proud you are of the work that he did, because um, for me, from the outside looking in, I'm incredibly um, honored to know you in the limited manner that we have, because I get some insight into your grandfather and the work that he did. It's just amazing, because those are true pioneers. Those are people that blaze trails and there was no road. Right. They broke. They broke things, not not breaking things in a bad way, but they they broke through borders of limited thinking. 
to create new thought. And that that's powerful. That's why I think your story is so important. And uh, there is another anecdote uh, with him on another disease. <clears throat> uh, he was invited or promoted by the Mexican army to visit some hospitals in the United States. But uh, among the one that is outstanding was um, in 1943, 1942, 1943, he treated the wife of uh, the recently elected governor of uh, the uh, Baja California. Okay. And the wife was treated because uh, she had uh, blood, uh, gallbladder stones. You probably just one or two that uh, gave her an acute uh, attack on, on the gallbladder. Right. And because they were about to move from Mexico City to Baja California, which is like 3,000 kilometers distance in between, uh, the uh, general said to his uh, subordinate, what can you do to treat uh, my, my wife? These are the x-rays that show that there is uh, there are stones in the, the gallbladder. Can you treat him? Because we are moving and I don't want to leave her here with the scar and the surgery. So he treated. He then, uh, uh, the governor, was invited to, uh, to a dinner hosted at the Na Naval Hospital. And the wife also developed a sudden attack on the same area, was taken and was... Uh, The, the diagnosis was that uh, she had a, an acute attack of uh, gastroenteritis. But the, the, the Mexican governor says to his counterpart, no, my wife had uh, stones in the bladder and that was treated by a, um, a doctor and gave the name. And the general in the U.S. Army said, oh, I would like to meet this doctor because how can he uh, treat stones without uh, surgery. Mm -hmm. So the uh, request was uh, sent to Mexico City. Dr. Donato needs to come here in, uh, at the end of 1944. He came and he started to write an article because he also was treating some other uh, conditions in children or young adults. And he, he had the idea of uh, sending uh, or sharing his findings with uh, the general and the surgeons and the doctors, how to treat without surgery append acute appendicitis. But uh, when he came into the Naval Hospital and presented his work, that was uh, left into the table, no attention. But instead, he was sent to one of the wards to treat uh, bacterial malaria and diseases that... Uh, Uh, were difficult to treat, yeah. especially in the brinks of uh, war. So in 1944, his results out of uh, treating uh, uh, nine soldiers, the results were published in then the first editions of uh, Time magazine. Oh, wow. Uh, we see now the importance of that magazine, yeah. but uh, I think the importance of that article uh, was that uh, the soldiers had a recovery that was not expected by the conventional treatment. Malaria is also a 
pro it was and still is a serious problem. Yes. And that's what he tweeted. Time reported uh, the findings, certainly giving uh, a name, insulin shock therapy, uh, just to create a, a headline. A headline, okay? <laughs> but he made it. He made it without paying to the reporter. He did just his job, and the results were there, okay, wow. uh, out of uh, doing that. that That's, I mean, just, we've spent a better part of, I think, 45 minutes to an hour just talking about your grandfather. That's incredible. That, but that's just the first step of your family legacy, your name legacy. So what we want to do next is basically take that next step. Do the transition, and let me give you some uh, information. Okay. When my father started to work with uh, his father yeah. at uh, that time in the early 50s, okay. uh, my f at that time there was an outbreak of polio uh. in Mexico City. There were children affected by polio. And we know that polio is a viral uh, infection. And there, of course, when uh, some other uh, people knew my grandfather, that he was treating many diseases. They said, okay, we know the outcome of uh, polio or what is going to happen. So they decided that what can you do to treat my young uh, boy or younger? So he started to treat the polio. And the results were amazing because children recovered earlier and there were no um, sequelas of, of, uh, of the disease. There were many children that uh, were treated by my father and my grandfather. So that was how my father started to work. He went and uh, saw uh, the children, participated in that. And there were reports in the newspapers uh, certainly the medical authorities did know nothing about that because when someone is labeled as a charlatan, right. <clears throat> if someone has an interest and they say, no, don't listen, he's a charlatan, you automatically don't make any more research. Right. You just go with by that. We uh, are very easily influenced by a label given by someone. And most of those uh, of the label was given because there was no uh, knowledge on what he was doing. And instead, it was easier to say, oh, he's a charlatan. But that's how my father started to work, treating boys with uh, polio. This is a great place to pause in part one of part three on the series with the pioneer Dr. Donato Perez Garcia on IPT. We'll be joining you soon for part two and then to follow part three. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease. Our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.